one of the the most effective and really oldest military strategies out there is uh, where an enemy doesn't even have to attack his enemy uh, head on. Instead, what he ends up doing is is you can cut off the supply line and just sort of wait for your enemy to just kind of give up. It, it's particularly effective when your enemy is in a well-fortified position, uh, guarded, and, and it's difficult based on terrain and so forth. Because if you can prevent food and water and medical supplies, then eventually what happens is that enemy will dry up. And either people will abandon their posts or, or they'll just surrender or they'll be too weak to put up much of a fight. And, and so it's, it's a great way to kind of take down a fortified position. And in a way, I think our enemy is doing something similar with us. Except in this case, he's not so much trying to cut off the food and water and other supplies. Essentially what he's trying to do is to, to interrupt or cut off any kind of line of communication with God. Because that's ultimately in that communication with God that we get to experience the source of life that we need. And, and as I kind of reflected on this this last week, I thought, you know, what are some of the, the major lies that kind of keep us from going to God, keep us from, from turning to him? Because essentially that's all the enemy's got. He's just got lies to tell us. And so lies such as you're not worthy, that that you're not qualified, that you need to get your life in order. You need to clean up things before you can actually go to him is one. Or another one I hear often is, I don't know how to do it, or I'm not doing it right. That there's somehow this, this magic elixir, a magic prayer that's required for us to go to him. Uh, or the third one I came up with was this idea that, that your father, he doesn't hear you, he, he doesn't care, or is too angry and disappointed to respond. And, and so each of those lies are effective if, and this is the key, if I don't understand my place and my significance with God. So this morning, what I'm hoping that we get to discover is how important, how truly significant and important we are to him and the level of access that's been granted to us. So let's read the passage this morning that we've got. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10, to 10, 11, and 12. Verse 10 begins with, So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this passage is all about coming to you, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to come to you right now and invite you to do something special, to do something in our hearts where we're more than just hearing things or learning things, that our confidence in you would grow, that our, our knowledge of who you are and, and who we are to you would solidify and grow to such a way that we run to you, that we, that we come to you and don't let the enemy keep us away. So I'm looking forward to what you're going to do this morning, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Well, verse 10 began with that phrase, so that. And so that is, is a phrase that's used to, to make a conclusion, meaning based on what we've said before, 
so that, in order that, he's coming to a conclusion. And so we need to understand exactly what was going on before. And, and that's what we looked at last time we were in Ephesians. We looked at, in particularly, this mystery that was in Christ, this mystery that's been revealed to you and I, these saints in, in the New Covenant. Uh, a mystery that, that the Old Testament, the Moses and Daniels and Elijahs and Elishas and Isaiahs, they never got to see. But you and I, we do get to see. We get to have that mystery laid out for us. And Paul was really clear what that mystery was when he laid it out in verse 6. And so in verse 6, he talked about this sensational mystery. And we, we use the word sin here, S-Y-N, because that's the language that Paul was using in the Greek there. He used these three words that were compounds. And, and the, the word sin is significant. You, you, you think about the word synchronize. It's really a combination of two words. Sin meaning to link up or to unite and, and, and chronos, which is the, the Latin word for time. And so it's the link up time. And, and so what he's done here is, is he's connected these three phrases to show that they're all united here. And so the first one that we saw last time was this idea that we're, we're fellow heirs. And that related to us being a part of God's family. Uh, or Sorry, the idea that we're um, experiencing God's provision for us. How God is the source of hope. How God's the source of everything we need. Love and patience and strength and approval. And, and that we, we have it in Him. And He is not just a source, He is the source. He's the one source. But the cool thing is, he's the only source we need. And so despite we live in a world that's constantly changing up and down, he never changes. He's the same today. And so the second one we saw then is that we're fellow members of the body of Christ. The sinsoma and how this idea that we're all one body with Jesus. And so that was God's people. And so we saw that although God's the source, he wants to minister to you and I through his people, through the church. And then the last one we saw was this fellow partakers. And so what we saw there is that, that this is the power of God that's being revealed through us. And so we can experience that power through the life of Jesus. And, and what's so beautiful here is that God's not looking for me to offer my best. Because that's not what he needs. He's not looking for the best, you know, most souped up version of Ross. Because if it was, then we're in trouble. I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. Instead, what he's looking for is Christ in Ross. That's what he's done. He's, he's come and he's, he's given his life to you and me. So it's no longer me. It's no longer my best efforts. It's no longer me striving and struggling. There's glorious truth, yet now Christ who lives in me. Jesus Christ right now is, is providing, I hope, I'm trusting the words and the message to to speak to you. He's providing the peace and the calm and the strength as I speak to you right now. And as you're at home with your families and, and loved ones, hopefully they're the same people, by the way, that, that life and strength of Jesus will be manifested through you to those people. So this, this beautiful mystery that we have in Jesus, these fellow heirs and fellow members of one body and fellow partakers now, Beautiful and incredible. And this morning, we're going to see and hopefully discover what was the great purpose of all this. What was, what was Paul leading to? What was he explaining all that? And so we're going to see that here in verse 10 now. So let's take a look at verse 10 again. So that the manifold wisdom of God may be made known through the church. 
You know, scholars noted this, this phrase, manifold wisdom, is really poetic in nature. It's, it's referring to this abundant variety, like a, a multicolored cloak or, or a garland of flowers. Uh, I, I like this idea of it being a mosaic, a combination of, of many pictures and, and colors. Or, or one friend of mine, he likes to call it the kaleidoscope. But this idea that it's richly diversified in nature. This is the church. This is what he's talking about. And, and remember, the church is not a building. It's not a place. In fact, the word, the English word church really is a, a bad translation because that English word church is from the German word which refers to a temple, refers to a building. And, and that's often what we get sucked into thinking. I'm, I'm going to church or we're gonna have church. And, and that's not what the church is. The, the Greek word here is ecclesia. And, and that word ecclesia means so much more. It's the gathering of the called out ones. And so who are the called out ones? It's, it's you and I. And, and although we're different races maybe and we're different colors, different likes, different dislikes, different preferences, different passions, different tastes, different styles, different shapes, different sizes, we're all united as one body. All united where Jesus Christ himself is the head simply through faith in him. That's the body of Christ. That's the church. That's the ecclesia that we have. And so God's plan here was that his manifold wisdom, the, the, the incredible wisdom of God would be manifested, would be expressed through you and I, this church. And what's beautiful is we don't have to agree all, on all everything. You don't have to agree about what's happening with COVID-19 and, and what's the source of it and what's happening. You don't have to agree with, we don't have to all agree with what the next steps ought to be or, or shouldn't be. We don't have to think all the same way. We don't have to vote for the same political parties or like the same music or TV shows. What's incredible is we're all important. We're all equal, but we can celebrate the differences that we all have. You know, in another passage in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul likens this differences to a body, to a physical body. And he says, not all our hands and not all our feet and not all our, our eyes and ears and noses, that everyone's different, but how we all need one another. How, how the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you, and, and the ear can't say to the stomach, I don't need you, that, that they all, every member needs one another. And again, that's what we are as a church. And so for us to say that, that on my own, I don't need you is, is a lie. We all need one another. And, and what that means then is when one's struggling, we're all struggling inside. And I know this morning, people are struggling. And I want you to know, you don't have to carry that struggle alone. Reach out, ask for prayer, ask for encouragement. Maybe ask for wisdom at times. Whatever it is that you need, God is waiting and wanting to minister to your needs. Again, be it through directly or through his church, he is waiting for us. But here's what's really incredible. Let's go back and read verses 10 and 11 because there's something really amazing in all this. He says that we have this, this mystery revealed to us through the church so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church. Here it is to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. I gotta admit, 
I got stuck on this part. I've been stuck on this part for the last three weeks. I've been reading different commentaries and, and books and trying to understand what was Paul saying here because what he wrote was not what I expected. You see, if he had written that the mystery was revealed so that God's glory would be made known through creation, I would have expected that. I, that would make sense to me. If he would have done it so that God would have been praised by creation, I totally get that. But, but he said that God's multicolored wisdom was being displayed through the church to angels and authorities in heavenly places. And, and that's not just the, you know, the evil demonic uh, angels, but the fallen ones, but even the good ones as well. That it was to all of the spiritual realm that God was wanting to reveal his wisdom, his glorious wisdom through you and I, the church. And that, I struggled on that. And yet that was God's end game. That was his eternal purpose. Meaning he planned that from the get-go. His always desire before the foundation of the world was to reveal his multicolored wisdom through you and I, through his bride. And again, I, I struggle with that, trying to understand it and, and what that means. And, and so this is what I came up with, and this is where my mind went to. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, this is exactly what Paul had in mind, because I... I'm fully aware that I, I didn't, you know, figure that out this week. But this is what I kind of thought about, and I'm not going to build a church on this, but I do think it's interesting, and I thought I'd share it with you. But I got started thinking about, you know, angels as a fact that, you know, they're created beings like you and I. And, and it's not exactly clear as to when they were created. I mean, we don't have a, a specific time in the Genesis account where God created them. Some would argue that, well, when he created the heavens and the earth in, verse, in the, the first day, that maybe that's when he created them. Although there is a, the opening verses of Job chapter 38 would seem to imply that they were there when God laid the foundations of the world. So maybe, maybe they were in existence before Genesis 1.1 that he had created them. But nonetheless, they are created beings like you and I. They're not eternal like God is. And, and so I began to imagine then, maybe, maybe when God sat down, and maybe he had a town hall meeting with all of, all of heaven, and, and he kind of gathered all the angels together and said, okay, guys, this is the plan. This is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to look like, just so they don't freak out, you know, because I imagine in day one, there was probably a bright light, big bang, and that would startle people. So maybe he just wanted to kind of assure them, everything is normal, this is gonna be okay. So he had a town hall meeting with them and he began to reveal his plan. And he, he started off with the vision of it. And here's the heart. This is what I really wanna do. I want my manifold wisdom to be revealed through man, through mankind. That I'm gonna create men and women and, and I'm going to unite my life, unite myself with them. They're going to be my bride. We're going to be one. And through them, through them, they're going to see me. They're going to experience me in such a unique way. And I wonder if, the, if it was that moment where Satan heard all this, where that was the moment where he snapped. Where, where he's sitting there beside the other archangels, uh, Gabriel and Michael, and he's, and he's hearing this and he's thinking, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're gonna, you're gonna create this thing called mankind, 
man and woman, and you're going to you're going to elevate them to such a role and a position where they're going to be united with you, and you're gonna you're gonna manifest your glory through them, and not not us, not not me. I mean, I'm I'm the most beautiful of all the angels. Surely you should choose me for that role. And I wonder if his anger and his jealousy and therefore this special, special hatred of man stems from that moment where he began to realize what God's plan was for you and I. That this, this beauty of God be revealed to his bride through the church and not through him. And that he felt in that moment that that not only was God being, you know, derelict of duty and God was being uh, careless and reckless, but, but this palace coup is now actually required and necessary because clearly God had lost it. Clearly God was off his rockers to think that somehow man, man and woman, could, could be qualified for such a key role. And yet that's what God chose. He chose to reveal his glory himself, his wisdom through you and I. Like I said, I, I don't know if that's exactly how it all went down. I don't know if that exactly that's what fueled Satan's rebellion. But regardless, I do think that this passage has one clear conclusion. One, one conclusion that I could not ignore or avoid, and it spoke to the infinite value that you and I have in Jesus. What it means is that you are so loved. I love seeing that banner, by the way. That's the banner that right now is sitting in the gym at Chickabee Hills School, packed away, waiting for when we get together again in, in person. But the message on that is so powerful. You are so loved. You are so cherished. You're so important and you're so significant to your Heavenly Father. You know, if, if we were to think of it this way, that if, if life were to be told as a story, then, then God's the hero. God's the central character in this story. But what it makes you and I is we're the treasure. We're the one that he comes to rescue. We're the one that he's coming to lay everything out on the line to redeem and restore. That's how important and significant you are to him. You're the treasure. You know, as, as a kid growing up, and actually, let me back up. You know, as a father now with five kids, you, you watch these little kids grow up. And, and for me, I can't help but go back and think about, you know, my childhood and, and what I specifically was like as a child. And, and when, I, when I go back and my memories, you know, my memories are so tainted with shame. They're so filled with shame. And I, and I don't know if that's, um, that's a true picture of my childhood, but my memories are so tainted that I, I, just, I just remember how I felt about myself. And, and when I was a little kid, you know, six, seven, eight years old, my memories of that time were I, I was that kid that was so, so desperate trying to prove something that if things weren't going my way, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to handle the, the disappointment. And, and it would come out in two ways, either in anger or in tears. And, and almost 90% of the time, and my brothers, Paul, if you're there, maybe you can kind of say amen. You probably can relate to this one. It, 90% of the time, it ended in tears. It might have started in anger, but it ended in tears because I was so frustrated 
with myself. I was so disappointed in, in my ability to perform in a moment. Things weren't going my way. And you see, the reality was because I needed to prove something. I needed to prove to you so I could prove to myself that I was worth it. Because deep down, what I believed about myself was I had nothing to offer. I wasn't that special. I wasn't important. That, that I wasn't just one in a, in a million. I was one in a, a trillion. I, I really was insignificant. And so if I could somehow prove something, if I could you know, win at a, a game, uh, win, you know, make the save, make the shot, hit the ball, uh, say something smart and clever and funny, if, if, if I could have this friend, then, then maybe then I could have value. Maybe then I could have worth. But no matter what I did, it was never enough. It was never enough because ultimately I was trying to prove who I was through my performance and what I was doing. And you see, none of that's going to matter. None of that's going to ultimately change how I see myself. See, maybe right now you're sitting here thinking, well, yeah, you know, this value, this worth, this significance. Well, that's, that's true for the super saints, right? That's true for the truly great people out there. You know, the Janices and, and the Michaels and the Craigs and, and, and you know, those people who, who've clearly mastered life. Clearly, they're mature. Clearly, God loves on them. And therefore, they have value and significance. But, but I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm still struggling to get there. So how can this be true for me? How can I know that this is true of me? And, and the answer is because it's not about you. See, the, the reason that this is true for you and I, the reason I know this is true about you and I, is because it's not based on what I've done or what I'm doing or what I will do. It's strictly based on what God has, past tense, done for you and me. See, it's, it's all about him. It's all about what he's accomplished. It's all about what he has brought about. It's all about the eternal purpose that was brought to fruition through Christ Jesus. That's what's so beautiful about all this. And so it isn't a matter of whether I feel it or not. It's just true. The challenge, the question for you and I today is, will I risk it? Will I step out in faith and trust that all this is real? Especially, especially when I don't see it or don't feel it or circumstances around me would say something otherwise. And, and in order to know it, it's so critical that we go to God. But how we go to God or the degree to which we go to God, so much of that depends on how we see Him. This this past Wednesday, we had the privilege of uh, having one of our Zoom uh, webinars with my friend and my mentor, Scott, Scott Britton. Man, I, I love just being around Scott. Every time I'm around him, I'm just, I'm so encouraged and blessed. And I was so thrilled that, that you know, the, the New Life family got to meet him. And if you haven't had a chance or you weren't there to, to see it on Wednesday, I really encourage you to go visit our YouTube channel and you'll be able to watch the recording there with Scott. Uh, but Scott was there. He was talking about dealing with anxiety. And, and he, he played a couple clips. And, and one in particular I want to kind of reference was, was this idea of what you think God thinks about you. That when you go to God, what will be his expression towards us? 
And so he played this clip of a, of a psychological experiment called the, the still face experiment. And it, it's a really interesting experiment there that, that what, what's happening here is this, this mother and her little baby, but one-year-old little girl, they come in and they, they sit the one-year-old in a high chair and mommy's right in front of her, you know, about 18 inches away. And, and they're laughing and they're giggling and mama's smiling at it, baby. And baby's pointing at stuff and mom's looking and interacting and baby's laughing and having a great time. And, and then some point along there, mom turns away and then turns back at the camera, but gone is a smile, and replaced is this still face. No expression, no love, no anger, just this still face. And at first, this baby's seeing mama and, 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 and wanting to make mama smile, so she's making joyful noises and no reaction from mom. And then baby's pointing at things because that worked before and mom doesn't look. And, and you can see the baby getting more and more agitated, more and more upset with each passing moment because mom's not reacting. Mom's not showing pleasure in this little baby. And this baby's getting more and more anxious, more and more agitated and, and begins to squeal and get upset and, and start squirming in, in the baby seat there and, and because this baby doesn't think that they're loved anymore. Because that's what they're seeing, is this still face. Now that's what you believe is waiting for you when you see God. That either God's gonna be still-faced, disinterested, maybe disappointed, maybe angry, then, then you're not gonna wanna run to him. And it's amazing, so often in the, in the counseling and the teaching that we do, we ask people to describe their concept of God. And I would say that the most common theme that we have when people describe how they see God or how God sees them is God is without an expression, or if he has one, it's one of disappointment and anger. I mean, if that's what you think is waiting for you, you're not going to go to that God. You're going to want no part with that God. And so you're going to want to retreat and pull away. And thereby the enemy's winning because he's cut off that line of communication. But what's waiting for us is so beautiful. And, you know, it's so appropriate today being Mother's Day because I want to show you a, a still from that video clip of that experiment. I want you to see the, the beautiful expression of mom the smile and the pleasure that mom has on this little one-year-old baby. You know, that mom's not perfect, but your heavenly father is. And your father's delight and joy shines upon you all the time, all the time. I mean, scripture talks about how you're the apple of his eye. You're so precious to him. You're, you're worth his own life to you. You're, you matter so much to him. That when it says, if you were to summarize and count the number of precious thoughts he has towards you, it would outnumber the sand. That's how much you're loved. That's how much he's waiting for you. And, and so Ephesians 3 and, tw and verse 12 tells us now that we can approach him in boldness and confident access with him. 
That's what we have now. We, you and I, we can go running to him. This idea of, of boldness, this idea of this bluntness, this, this idea that you can just run to him without fear, without trepidation, and, and, and you don't have to worry about, am I saying the right things? Am I, am I doing it properly? You know, one Carlos Ortiz, he had this great phrase. He says, save your protocol for the president. Meaning there isn't this right way of approaching him. You know, if you see the president or prime minister or the queen, you know, you have to do certain things. Bow properly. Don't look her in the eye and so forth. Not with your father. Not with your daddy. Not with your papa. Not with Jesus. He's waiting for you with this big smile, this grin and open arms, ready to scoop you up and sit you up on his lap and hug you and hold you tight and just love on you. That's the boldness we have. We just go to him, we just blurt out whatever is on your mind, whatever is on your heart, because we have confident access, this reliable access. This word access is actually used three times in Scripture in the New Testament. It's used once in Romans 5.12. It's used earlier in Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 2, verse 18, and then here in Ephesians 3, in verse 12. And, and the word access here speaks specifically to this idea of, of having the ability to enter into a royal court. The permission to enter into the royal court and go forward and before the king and to address the king. That's what we have. We've been given confident, reliable, permanent access. Your name's on the list. You know, if, if you ever went to a, a, a club or a restaurant or a special event and, and, and the guy, the security is waiting at the door going, um, wait a minute, I, uh, I don't see your name. You're not on the list. You, you don't have access. That's not what you have. Your name's on the list. God says, come on in. Anytime, any hour. Any, any, for any, any moment, any excuse, there's nothing too small or too big, just come. That's the kind of access you and I have where we can just go run to him. You know, as a, as a parent, I feel like I'm, I'm off course about 95% of the time. And, and I'm always trying to make course corrections and that I, I, I just am waiting to see what will happen to my, my five kids as a result of me when they sit down with a counselor. But there are these few moments where I feel like, you know what, I'm, I am doing something right. And I remember one in particular when, when Hannah was about six years old. And we were telling our kids that, you know, whenever they're struggling, whenever they have something, just go run to Jesus and talk to Jesus. And I remember one day walking into the living room and I saw Hannah lied out, lying out there on the couch. And, and I said to her, hey, hey, baby, everything okay? And she goes, no, but, but I'm talking to Jesus. And I remember in that moment just pausing and going, oh, okay. And doing a quick 180 and walking out of the room because I did not want to interfere. Because this beautiful moment that she was struggling and she had learned to, I need to run to Jesus and I need to talk to Jesus about it. And that's the, that's the lesson that we have. That as little babies, as little children, that whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever it is, you and I, we can go run to him and talk to him. And so many people say, well, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to begin. And really begin there. Tell him, God, this is awkward for me. And I don't know what to say to you. Tell him that. That's just the start. Because talking to God, praying with God, 
You know, we've, we've made it this formal thing. You know, where you, you got to cross your hands or close your eyes or bow your head or, or start some way and end another way. That's not how it works. It's not a radio call. Talking to God is simply a relationship. And, and you would talk or pray with God as if you would talk to any other person. And so if, just share. Start with what's on your mind. And just start talking with him. And listen to him. God, what, what are you, what's going on in you? What's happening with you? What do you think about this? And, and at first you might think, well, I'm, I don't know what he's saying. And that's true. Maybe at first you won't as much. But the more time you spend with him, the more time you, you listen and the more time you talk with him, you'll begin to recognize his voice. That's why we're reading the scriptures. That's why we're studying the scriptures so that we'll recognize what he's saying to us. Because if you hear a voice that says, I'm so disappointed in you. I'm so frustrated with you. Why can't you get your act together? Then you know that's not from your father. Because your father would never speak in those terms. Because he's never going to be disappointed with you. How do you disappoint a God who already knows your failures and has already dealt with all of them? Who's already forgiven him, addressed them? Instead, he's going to encourage you and love you. That means it's not that he'll never speak to you about your failures and your sins, but he'll always do it in a way that is corrective. There's always hope. It's always gentle and loving because that's his heart. That's his nature. And so he's constantly encouraging us and loving us. And you'll recognize his voice. I know for me, as I, as I look back on where I was 20 years from now, or 20 years ago, I didn't recognize his voice a whole lot. Just, just a little bit. And now I'm, I'm a little bit more. And, and 20 years from now, I know I'll be a lot more. And, and that's okay because it's, it's not about how, you know, this, this level of knowledge of intimacy. It's just in this moment, right now, am I talking to him? Am I listening to him? And right now I am. And what, what he's saying to me to tell you right now is how proud he is of all you guys. Matt, I want you to know he loves you and he's proud of you and he sees how you're fighting for your family. John, it's not easy right now in this time and, and you got the weight and the pressure of this world on you and, and so forth, but he wants you to know that you're leading well. And he sees that and he knows that. And, and Janice, what, what you're going through with your family and your mom is not easy and it's hard. But he's right there and he wants to be your comforter. He wants to be the one to assure you and walk with you. And Kat, so much of what you're going through, you, you need to be live alone and it's so difficult in this time, but you're never alone. Your father's with you and he's smiling and he's got his arm around you. He loves you dearly. You know, many years ago, I wouldn't have known that's what he wanted to say. But I'm learning his voice. Now I get to minister life to you guys. And, and the same will be true for you to me. And that's what's so beautiful about all this. And so our enemy, he's wanting to cut off those lines of communication because if he can keep us from running to him, if he can somehow prevent you and I from turning to Jesus, to talking with him, to listening to him, then we're all alone. And then it's hard. Life gets difficult. Life gets, gets more tense. 
and we've already begun to lose. So run to him. Don't let anything keep you from running to him and going to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've done and who you've made us. And no matter what we're facing in this, in this world, no matter what our, our, our future holds, as we begin to go back to work and for some of us, as we begin to exit our homes for some of us, and then what awaits us, we know you're bigger than all of that. And so our anxiety begins to disappear because we can trust you and your power and your strength to be everything we need no matter what the situation And I pray that each of us, Father, would run to you, especially in those times where we failed, especially in those times where the enemy is beating us up and we're we're feeling like we're under that, that mountain of shame, that we would just glance up at you and we would see your smiling face, just like that mom had towards that baby, that we would know you love us and you're proud of us and you're right there with us. And we would experience freedom in you. We'd experience life with you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. In your name we pray, amen. I want to encourage each of you guys to to reach out in prayer um, in terms of praying for one another. You can send each other a text, a phone call, uh, maybe maybe write them a Facebook message. Just let people know that you're praying for them. Um, if if Josh hasn't already done this, uh, maybe you can make a comment here. Um, you know, just put out a generic request request for prayer. And and if if you have a a prayer request, just like that. And 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 you know, whoever sees that, you know, you can reach out to those people. And as elders, we'll try and reach out to you this week as well. And just you know, let you know that we're praying for you. Or if you have a specific prayer request that you want to share with the elders, you can do that through our Facebook page or on the sorry on the on the website. There's a little prayer request button, or just shoot us off an email at prayer at newlifekw.ca, and uh, we'd love to come alongside you and pray for you. But again, the the boldest invitation you have is is go to Jesus. You know, go for a walk with Him, talk with Him, get to know what life is like for Him. That's so beautiful. Have a great day. Happy Mother's Day, everyone.